The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone. Doug Williams and Chris Sheeran here for another episode of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com. And it's also on the iTunes. You could download it for free. Doug, say hi. Hello. <laughs> that is at Doug Williams, yes. I am at Chris Sheeran, yes, on the Twitter. And uh, we are going to get to some uh, headlines, making some news around the sports world now that the Nets... Uh, our, their season is done. Uh, I have some free time on my hands, and I might as well use that free time by talking on the podcast. And the first thing, and I know you just discussed this on the Yes Men without our the great uh, Lou DiPietro, who is off getting married. He, he has decided to marry a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I put it so bluntly on the podcast. It was like <laughs> I, I literally said exactly what he was doing. He's preparing to marry a woman. Awesome. So <clears throat> breaking Lou DiPietro of YesNetwork.com and the Yes Men podcast, uh, getting married to a woman uh, this weekend, right? Yeah. And then his honeymoon will follow. Uh, Michael Sam, uh, probably not getting married to a woman in the future, as we all know. Uh, he came out. He is the first openly gay NFL player. Uh, he was drafted by the St. Louis Rams, as we all know. But the latest little wrinkle in this story, the latest little twist and this is our first subject, obviously, and we have a couple to cover, but this is the first. Um, Michael Sam's going to have his own reality show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Uh, that was just announced recently. And uh, I put this, you know, it's all weird how this happened this morning. Now, I, I tried a little sociological experiment on Facebook this morning trying to get – uh, the uh, trolls that I have as friends to uh, take out of their caves. You tried to get the trolls. Out yeah. Of caves. Yeah. Yeah. I tried. They didn't take the bait though. Unfortunately, uh, maybe uh, throughout the rest of the day they will, but they didn't take the bait and I'm a little upset. Uh, I have about 800 friends on the Facebook and I got about five likes on what I said. And this is what I said. Today's America where the only opinions allowed are the ones approved by the court of public opinion. Okay, so I got five likes. So that to me, only five likes, and I guess in about three or four or five hours, says to me, a lot of my friends are either afraid to like it because they don't want to have to apologize to anybody <laughs> for liking what I said, or you know, they were so incensed by what I said that they were so mad they didn't say anything. But like I said, the day is still young. I still might get some backlash for it. I just can't share it with you on the podcast. But the fact that I put this up there and then I – you know, I, I hear on the radio that Sam has this show coming out. And I know you talked about it on Yes Man. I want to throw in my two cents here. And I, I saw this article on NBCSports.com, uh, their pro football talk. Uh, Michael David Smith, I want to give him credit for the brief little snippet here, a quick little blog that he had on this. And uh, this was announced on Wednesday this past week that he will have this reality show on OWN. And on Thursday – now, here's where it all starts to come together. An unnamed Rams player told Josina Anderson of ESPN that the show could become an issue. And here's this unnamed player's quote. It's an interesting case that he gets to work with Oprah and have his own show, but I think it does raise eyebrows, and it may be somewhat of a distraction, said the player, who was speaking on condition of anonymity, because God forbid... <laughs> His opinion on Michael Sam is the opposite of the court of public opinions. God forbid. But this is our first time dealing with something like this, so we'll have to wait and see how it plays out and how people react. End quote. Now, publicly, everyone on the Rams, as Michael David Smith goes on, 
who has expressed an opinion about Sam has been supportive. But the same player said that privately, some players may be just expressing political correctness rather than giving their honest views about having Sam on the team. And uh, the player went on to say, quote, clearly, I'm not sure how everyone feels, but from what I can tell so far, uh, I think it's a little bit of both, honestly, he said. Uh, and here's, here's where I have an even bigger problem. And this is with Michael David Smith's uh, second-to-last sentence. He says, if players have a problem with Sam's sexual orientation, that's their problem. No, it's not, Michael. That's their opinion. And they're allowed to have it. It's not ignorant. It's not homophobic. It's their opinion. Maybe it's their upbringing. Maybe they were brought up in a family very religious. And to this, this goes against everything they believe. It goes against their faith. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them homophobic. It makes their opinion known. That's it. But here's where I agree, agree with Michael. His last sentence. But if Sam is alienating teammates with a perception that he's trying to make himself a star while everyone else is simply trying to make the roster, that could be a problem for him. And that, that line right there, I agree 100% with. This is something that you've mentioned on podcasts, Yes Men, and this one, The Chris Sheeran Show, and I've mentioned as well. When Michael Sam came out, I had no problem with it. If his entire team at Missouri, he came out to them and they kept their mouths shut and played alongside him and they had no problem with it. If he has no problem with who he is, who am I to tell him how to live his life? See, that's the only thing that I differ with, with all, you know, with, with going against Michael Sam. I don't see how it's anybody's place to tell him how to live his life. Okay, I was brought up Catholic, and everything in my faith tells me to be against Michael Sam and how he lives his life. But Michael Sam and how he lives his life is none of my freaking business. It's not. Whatever makes Michael Sam happy, that's what Michael Sam should do. But I, we said this before, and I'll say it again. Now he's making it about himself. He's not making it about football. He's making it about himself. And that, Doug, is where it gets dicey. Yeah, and I said, you know, you never know if this was his publicist's decision or his own. But he is directly going against what he said he wanted, which was to be known by the general public as a football player, not a gay football player. So... It's hard to understand why he would do this if that's really what he wanted. Because doing the Oprah show is not something that a regular football player would do or any football player has in the past. The Oprah audience would not watch Hard Knocks. They would watch a show about a guy off the field. So that's what this is. It is not about football. It is about him being a gay football player. That's the reason he's on the show, and it's also something that he has said in the past. He's contradicting himself. He has said in the past he didn't want this to happen. So it's a little hard to understand. Yeah, it is, and you know, it's going to be hard for him, especially if he gets cut now. You know, what happens if he gets cut? Is this what he's going to be known for? His reality show on Oprah? And yeah, he got drafted. He almost didn't, let's be honest. 
it went through almost the entire draft without him being selected. And the Rams are stacked at the, at, you know, the defensive line. They're pretty set. I mean, he's going to have to really impress Jeff Fisher in order to make this team. And then what if he doesn't? D- you know, do groups go after the Rams because they cut him? See, this is the slippery slope with this that we're going to have to deal with today and going forward. I don't know if the league, you know, guys will come out and they'll be politically correct, just like this article said. I mean, listen to this quote again. Clearly, I'm not sure how everyone feels. This is the unnamed uh, uh, condition of anonymity Rams player that made this comment. Clearly, I'm not sure how everyone feels, but from what I can tell so far, I think it's a little bit of both. And that meaning... Uh, everyone on the Rams who has expressed an opinion about Sam has been supportive, but the same player said privately, some players may just be expressing politically correctness, political correctness. That That's an issue. Okay. When you, when you can't exercise your freedom of speech about something and you can't say what you want to say without a day later having to make an apology for having an opinion Something's wrong. Now, look, Donald Sterling is another situation. <laughs> we still haven't gotten an apology from that clown. But – and the privacy issues go into that too. So that's not really clear-cut either. We, we know he's a racist. We know in his so-called you know, interview and apology with Anderson Cooper, that just you – know, CNN just handed him basically a shovel said, here, keep digging to China. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was bad. That was so bad. So – uh, you know, but I want to get back to this because usually on this article, again, giving him credit, Michael David Smith on NBC uh, Sports.com Pro Football Talk, uh, he, he sent this out. And usually the comments, and, and it's the first 10, that you have to worry about, you know, people being homophobic and people being stupid. But I'll tell you what, the first, not, uh, first eight comments here, and I don't have any more, I just printed out the first page of the article, but I, I want to read them to you. Uh, the first one simply says, but all he wants to do is play football. And that's the point that Doug just brought up. The second one, really bad idea, not much support for this to happen. Okay. I fully support Sam's human rights and his desire to play in the NFL, but if he wants to tank his chances before he even makes the team, he either needs to rethink why he's there or fire his agent manager. Another point we brought up. Another one, I agree with the unnamed player. See, it, it, it seems like people are even scared – behind their phony baloney internet names to say anything, but somebody agreed. Uh, Replace Sam with Johnny Football, and the media would be killing him, calling him an entitled brat who doesn't get it. Why is Sam any different? Uh, Yeah, everybody. I mean, HBO is doing everything they can to get Cleveland to do hard knocks. Uh, Like every other reality show, I won't watch it, but maybe if they make it a sitcom, I have no idea what that means. Um And the last one, have a reality show about being the first openly gay drafted player who got cut or try and make the team, but not both. Well, I mean, Oprah's jumping on while the iron's hot. She's not stupid. She has, you know, enough money to buy an entire country. So uh, she's going in on it exactly when she needs to go in on it. Uh, We've said our piece. I mean, when when it all comes down to it, Doug, it's basically the common denominator is Michael Sam needed to do what both of us said he needed to do and that's basically put his head down and play football just l- put blinders on you came out uh, uh 
we applauded him for that. Took a lot of guts. Uh, took a lot of character. Uh, now he has to prove that he could play football. And having his own reality show, uh, it goes to that point in that little blog. You know, if he wants to be a star, trying to make himself a star while everyone else is trying to make the team, very slippery slope. Moving on, Matt Harvey, another kind of, I don't know, A-Rod's always called the lightning rod, okay? Matt Harvey, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get the vitriol thrown at Matt Harvey. Now, the latest with him, and there's a couple things, but the latest, you open up the paper today or you look online, you look on Twitter, the headline, this is the headline, and the media is, (laughs) I'm in it, but it's reprehensible. I get it. People are trying to get you to read the paper, read an article on Twitter, whatever. But this is the headline. Matt Harvey, nearly in a bar fight over a woman. Now, if you just look at the headline and don't read the article, you don't find out that Matt Harvey, someone in his group at a bar, was almost in a fight over a woman. When Matt Harvey saw this stuff about to go down, Matt Harvey left. But if you just read the headline, it's like Matt Harvey almost got into fisticuffs. Put up your dukes. I'm doing the old 1918 to Doug with the fists up in the air. Yeah, you can't really see that. Not good for radio. Good for TV, not good for radio. But um, I just don't get it. Before you comment, Doug, I want want to get the other one out there too. There's two things. I I think maybe a month ago was the uh, Twitter with the middle finger. Uh, He was either about to go in for his Tommy John surgery or it was post-op in the recovery room. And he's laughing. Probably one of his friends took the picture. and his mom. His mom took the picture, and he's giving his mother the middle finger, like probably saying, uh, F Tommy John surgery, I'm going to come back, whatever. And then that was a controversy. They had to black out a middle finger. The Mets made him delete it and delete his Twitter account. What is going on in this country where you can show gore, blood, Somebody's head getting smashed with a sledgehammer. You can't show a nipple. God forbid you see a middle finger. That's protecting children. But all the violence we have in movies and on the news for crying out loud. I mean, at least the movies are fake. You watch a newscast. The top four or five stories is about death. It's either murder, mother nature doing her bidding, and deaths due to her. That's all fine and dandy. We have to black out a middle finger and make Matt Harvey take his Twitter account down because he did it? Come on. Are, are we serious? He, what has this kid done? Be honest with me. What has he done off the field that's reprehensible? What has he done? He's just in the public eye, and I think he's living a normal life of a 24-year-old That's kid. what he said. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to shut it down because you know I'm gifted and I could be one of the best starters in the history of the majors. He's 24. He's not out there getting arrested. He's out there with his friends. He's at a bar, and a fight broke out. But if you read the headline, you know, then people go into work. They don't read the article. They go into work. They get to the water cooler. That old gag. Hey, did you see Matt Harvey almost got in a fight over a girl? No! He left! It was, it was one of his friends! I mean, the fact that it's even a headline with the word nearly. 
Oh God! It just mean, that, that means he wasn't in the fight. It's reprehensible. It's just oh God! It make it makes my skin crawl. He's a kid. He's twenty four years old. And then you have you know the old ones. With great power comes great response. Listen, take the Peter Parker stuff and shove it. Seriously, he's not getting arrested. I haven't seen a DUI. Matt Harvey is out living his life, and he's rehabbing. It's not like he's starting the next day. David Wells was hung over when he threw his perfect game. Everybody loved David Wells. Those things, That's well documented. And those things can't happen anymore. I mean, <laughs> I wrote my senior thesis about this in college. It's, uh, you know, Babe Ruth. He was no saint. No. But you didn't hear about it. Because nobody oh, golly. Was there. Can you imagine if Twitter nobody, was around right. back then? Nobody with a smartphone was in the bars that Babe Ruth was at. Doing it, the Charleston. It, it's almost an impossible time to succeed off the court, the field, the ice. I mean, Derek Jeter is one of the only guys that's ever done it. And he has these rumored rules where, like, if you're in his apartment, you leave your phone at the door. Like, these are things that he does. He does everything so in such a smart way. To avoid things like this. So maybe Matt Harvey will learn that despite the fact that he's done nothing wrong. He hasn't. He, he has to somehow make these sort of crazy demands out of people like no smartphones. Hey, you taking that video, put that away. It's ridiculous, but it's life now. David Wells wouldn't have gotten away with being hungover on his perfect game. It's, it's just nowadays you have to be perfect. You have to... Focus on every single detail when you're out. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. And you have to watch what you say because you don't know if somebody's holding a phone behind you and recording you. And then they get it on recording and then they could put it out to TMZ and your life is ruined. Your life is ruined in a private conversation. Donald Sterling's life should be ruined because, well, it should have been ruined a long time ago. But I was you know, alluding to that anyway. Uh, before we get to Matt Harvey's favorite team and hockey – that would be the New York Rangers. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, a local kid from my hometown, and I just want to give him a quick shout-out, uh, and that is Michael DeSantis III. And it's for good reason. Uh, in the South of a Little League, he has not thrown one. He has thrown two perfect games, 36 up, 36 down, 36 strikeouts. Two starts, 36 strikeouts, Two perfect games, and with a little luck, we will be heading down to the Riv, my old stomping grounds, my hometown, and we will be doing a story on uh, Michael DeSantis III, and uh, I know his dad really well, Michael DeSantis Jr., and uh, it's just a great story, and uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't pitch uh, on his middle school team. He only pitches in the Little League, on, the, on his Little League team, and uh, it's going to be an interesting time if we get to go down there. Um, but just here, I saw the first one and it kind of shook me up a little bit. And then I just got a, a message on Twitter from one of my friends at home. And she said, he did it again. I said, come on, 18 strikeouts again. She said, yep. And then there was the article and, uh, on the home news tribune. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And, uh, I can't wait to get down there. Uh, little known fact, I did throw a no hitter on that same field, Doug, um, it would have been a perfect game, but I plunked Tommy Lyons in the gut. <laughs> right in the gut. I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, yeah, against VFW. 
Uh, we used to call them very few wins uh, back in the day. And I was on Rotary, which was Rotary, but enough of this Little League humor. Uh, let's move on to the Rangers. I just wanted to mention Michael because I thought that was an awesome feat. But the Rangers and Canadians, two teams uh, who haven't won the Cup since 1993, Montreal, 1994, the Rangers. Uh, now they have a shot. And, you know, their goalies, Doug, I believe, are going to be front and center in this one. You could talk about, you know, Thomas Vanek, how he started with the uh, Sabres, then went to the Isles, and now he's on the Habs, and he's got five goals. He leads them in goals in the postseason. You could talk about, you know, um, Thomas Placanitz, Andre Markov, P.K. Subban, uh, Brian Gianta, our old buddy from the Devils up there now. Uh, a lot of firepower, a lot of speed on this Montreal team, and it's scary. But I think, I want to see what your opinion is, but I think this is a better matchup than the Boston Bruins. What are your thoughts? I thought they would have gotten swept by the Bruins. I, I think this series will be incredibly exciting. I think it will probably go seven. I'm inclined to think that oh, the Rangers God, not will again. win. I think the Rangers, <laughs> if they get to seven, Henrik, Henrik doesn't lose game seven. That's true. That's so, true. Uh, you know, the Canadians are tough. It's it's just great to have the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals and second time in three years. Yeah, and, and the Marty St. Louis story is terrific. Just how much this team has supported the guy and and how important he is to all of them in such a short time that he's been with the team. It's really awesome. And you know this series with the Canadians though, it's going to be fast. Like they're gonna one team's going to rush, then they're going to give up the puck. The other team's going to rush. It's, it, these are two very similar yeah. teams. They're smaller. They're less physical. They are fast. They have a lot of snipers on both teams. The Rangers, I would say, are stronger defensively, including their goaltender. Uh, but P.K. Subban is a, a force, and he will crush you or he will put the puck in well, the let net. Well, let me ask you this, too. Uh, you brought up a great point. It, it's going to be back and forth. And I, I said to someone the other day that, you know, it's an Eastern Conference final but it's going to look like a western conference right. game it's going to be up and down the ice just open ice here and there uh as doug said a lot of weapons a lot of snipers the defense the defensemen are, are good but you're going to see a lot of scoring chances in this one so w- w- we saw brian boyle have a tremendous series oh, against yeah. the penguins true or false he is going to have to do the same thing against the Canadians. Yes, and he's actually... And who else? Not only Boyle, but who else needs to step up in that regard? Well, Boyle is uh, is huge on the penalty kill because he's got that massive stick that he can wave around, like, you know, right in the center of the And ice. when he goes down to block a shot, right, the right. skates make him about seven feet tall. Right. So. And he's, you know, he's a player that a lot of people call soft and they call him a bust because he scored so many goals. And when he was with the Kings, he was a highly touted prospect. But he's turned into a very valuable player. I happen to really like Brian Boyle. I think he's a key player. I think Rick Nash has become such, you know, he's kind of on the back burner now. A lot of people aren't talking about him. mean the friendly him. ghost? Yeah. A lot of people aren't really talking about him anymore because they've just kind of moved on. But I think Rick Nash has played pretty well. He's done almost anything else other than score. And so we're going to see if if he can come up clutch. You never know how much that changes the series. So we'll see with him. Um, I think the play of Ryan McDonough was really poor against uh, against the Penguins in the first four games. He picked it up, and then their team picked it up as well because he's such a weapon. So 
I mean, it, it really looked like his shoulder was bothering right, him. Maybe right. maybe it there was did. a quarter zone shot involved yeah, because he happened. looked like a different player. Like you said, first four games, last three games, McDonough was a different player. And you had got a guy like Broussard who came in, didn't have any goals until that round against the right. Penguins, and then had the four in two games or three in two games, just played unbelievably. It just seemed, you know, when they were down 3-1 and then all of a sudden San Luis' mother died and he shows up at game five and has – you know, that kind of lift for that team. I mean, that's – and people will get on me for this, but that's another thing about hockey. How how the guys, it's a brotherhood. They rally around guys, and you saw that with the Rangers against the Penguins in that series in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And now the Penguins are looking for a new GM and a head coach, by the way. They didn't fire their head coach. It was reported. Oh, it was reported. That they I would. saw it was reported. Earlier today, everyone's saying they're going to fire their coach and the GM. They didn't fire the coach. The new GM now gets to decide. It was a break. Like McKenzie right. from TSN reported that they would fire the coach. Once again, get it first. Don't get it right. Right. And I fell victim to it. So did I. So did I. <laughs> I hadn't seen it about well, an hour I'm, ago. I'm I... glad. See, this is why Doug's here, so he could keep me straight. That that's it. Keep me honest. Uh, but uh, I. So you think Rangers in seven? I do. I so do. Doug's and I think <laughs> the Rangers will go to the Cup. I don't know if they'll win the Cup, but. It's really unbelievable. Doesn't that doesn't this Rangers team have that kind of feeling? It does. Like a I don't I don't want to, you know it's that old gag, but the team of destiny. Right. It uh, has that feeling. Down three one against the Penguins, backs against the wall. They win three in a row, and now here they are in an original six matchup. Uh, it just I don't know, man. Something about something about Rangers Canadians in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Bell Center on Saturday. That place is going to be absolutely ridiculous. I thought for a split second I want to go to Montreal because yeah. I want to experience that, you know. And maybe if it goes back to Montreal, just maybe, maybe you and I could plan a trip. That'd be pretty. Maybe fun. a game seven in Montreal. We go up there. That'd be crazy. That'd be great. Can you imagine that? And then we come back here and report on it. I, I will say, if you're watching hockey for the first time and you're and you're going to watch the Rangers and the Canadians. The Broussard, Zuccarello, and Pouliot line They've been is phenomenal. a treat oh, yeah. to watch. Oh, yeah. They've the way that they can see each other. Uh-huh. That it's like the be... cone headline yeah. from the 80 Olympic yes. team. That's exactly – like they finish each other's sentences. Yes. They know exactly – those backhanded passes by Zuccarello on that line have been unbelievable. I mean they're like Magic Johnson no-look passes in basketball. They've been unreal. Unreal. Yeah. I mean and, and thank, thank goodness you brought that up because in that Penguin series, that's all Pierre Maguire – and uh, Doc Emmerich we're talking about was that line. And is there any pair of broadcasters that you would rather listen to a hockey game with? And now listen, I love Gary Thorne and I love Sam Rosen. I do. I think Thorne is an underrated hockey uh, announcer. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, uh, Doc Emmerich, there's no one else. Like Vin Scully in baseball, there's no one else who could reach into your soul and pull your emotion strings like oh those God. two like those two guys behind a mic doing a game. Doc Emmerich, good lord, is he great at doing hockey? They play were by doing play. the uh, the game seven against the Penguins. He said, "Isn't it funny that we've heard so much iron tonight in a city known for its steel?" <laughs> I know, I remember that. Crater to step on, like he just it he, was he cracks those jokes it and then goes great. right back oh into the play by play. And that was a good Doc impression. Thank you. I, like I, that. I do my Doc impression every once in a while on the Yes Man. Good for really you, man. It. That's awesome. By uh, the way, a funny thing also to real, recognize uh-huh. about him is the the ads that they have to make him do. So he'll do like <laughs> it's not just any time; it's Miller time, <laughs> and he puts, of course. Because Doc Emmer puts 
100% in everything. The ads are, like, done so perfectly. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. Pausing the at the right time. Em- yep. Emphasizing the, the correct syllable. Yeah. He's the best at what he does. Unbelievable. And uh, let's really quick, before we get to the Yankees, and I just want to talk one thing, Yankees, but before we get there, I just want to wrap things up with the Nets here because I did every postgame and pregame when we had the opportunity. Uh, first and foremost, let me congratulate Sarah Kustak on an amazing year. Uh, with the team, you know, she's just so smooth and so basketball savvy, and she does just a great job with the team. I said it on our last post game show after game five. I just want to reiterate it again. She's excellent at what she does. The former DePaul basketball star just, and, and my uh, tag team partner on Fox sports one doing college basketball as well. So I just wanted to give her a nod really quick, as well as my post game, uh, <clears throat> partners, Donnie Marshall and Jim Spinarkle, who make my job so easy when I host those shows. They're just so good at what they do, and they know so much about the game. And I've learned so much in the past month, and I'm not ashamed to admit it either, about the game of basketball. And I have to thank and tip my cap to all three of those people. But wrapping up the Nets, and I just saw this, a report before we came up here, Darren Williams once out of Brooklyn. And I'm telling you right now, Billy King can't get to a phone fast enough. I'm serious. Uh, It was reported um, that he and his wife, they're done. They want out. He's got three years and $63 million left, which is going to be the tricky part. And to think that that guy is making over $20 million a year to come up. Now, listen, did he have a bad series against the Heat? I wouldn't say he did. But he had a good series. I mean, it was just – it was okay. If you're talking about an elite point guard in a big series, you don't want to be saying he had an okay series, right? I mean, Joe Johnson saved this team day in, day out, game after game after game. Kevin Garnett nicknamed him well because Joe Jesus saved the Nets a lot. But what the Nets couldn't save themselves from – was a problem that they had even when they turned their season around beginning on January 1st. The ability to close out games. I've done countless post games. I've been in that locker room. I've watched Sarah work that locker room. And on many occasions, many tough losses, that's all you heard, regular season and postseason. Well, we got to learn how to close. Well, you didn't. And games two, games four, and game five were winnable games for the Brooklyn Nets. And they could have been in that game five with a chance to close out the heat, if you could believe that. Because they could have, should have won game two. They could have, should have won game four. And they definitely should have won game five. They were up 91-83. 91-83 with 255 left when LeBron hit the three to bring it to a five-point game. When we left where we were watching it downstairs with me and Jim Spinarkle. There were like four minutes left in the game, and it was 91-83. Miami took a timeout, and I looked at Jim, and as we're walking upstairs, I said, I guarantee it'll be tied by the time we get upstairs. Because in game two, game four, and game five, the last four minutes of the game, the Nets just didn't show up. They were outscored 13-3 in game five, the elimination game, when they needed to win that game to bring it back to Brooklyn. And you can make fun of me all you want. If it got back to Brooklyn, it was going seven. I don't know who was going to win, but the Nets have been, they played unbelievable at Barkley Center. Unbelievable down the stretch. And I really think if they got it back to Brooklyn, it was going back to Miami. And we were going to have an exciting game seven on Sunday. But, 
that common denominator, it, you know, at the first part of the season till December 31st, when they were blown out by the Spurs and that started turning them around, it was the third quarter. They couldn't win the third quarter. They were getting destroyed in the third quarter. Second half of the season, when they did turn the season around, it was the ability to not close out games. And with three, four minutes left in games two, games four, and games five, I don't know why I keep pluralizing that. I have to work on that. Game two, game four, and game five, (laughs) they weren't able to close. They went away. Think about it. Game two, that was 79-77 with six minutes to go. They lost 94-82. Game four at home, another winnable game. Tied at 94 with 57 seconds left. They lost. 102-96. And then this last one, game five. Eight-point lead with just under three minutes to go. And they lose 96-94. Joe Johnson, who's hit so many big shots at the buzzer, couldn't even get the shot up. Now, was... Sean Livingston fouled? Was Joe Johnson fouled down the stretch? I think so. Was Paul Pierce fouled by LeBron James on that out-of-bounds play with four seconds to go? Jim Spinarkle and I both think so. And Paul could have been at the line shooting two to tie it. But guess what? You're not getting that call. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. That's asinine. Because if it's a foul with 11.25 left to go in the first quarter, it's a foul with five seconds left in the game. You shouldn't be able to, especially in a close game like that, you shouldn't be able to basically get away with murder on an opposing player when they're trying to tie the game. In the NBA, wouldn't you want that game? If you're if you're the commissioner of the league, Doug, and you're in that game and it's 96-94 and LeBron does foul Paul Pierce there and the Nets are in the bonus, wouldn't you want him going to the line to tie that game up? Absolutely. You want that game to go to overtime. It's been an incredible game. But instead, no fouls called. The Nets season is over. And it's, you know, you could whine and, 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 and cry about fouls all you want. The Nets should have never been in that position to begin with. Up eight with just under three to go. The series should have been coming back to Brooklyn. All right, that's enough. You know, I'm not even a Net fan. And that, that series just annoyed the heck out of me. Um, I... I just gut-wrenching losses, and 2-4-5 and five could have gone the Nets' way, and you're talking about the Nets advancing and playing the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, alas, it doesn't happen, and the uh, Heat are on the verge of uh, Pat Riley making a lot of money with his three-peat trademark, which makes my skin crawl even more. Anyway, let's move on to the Yankees. Happy to do it. Yeah, Dellen Batances, uh, he's been absolutely incredible, Doug. I think he has um, – how many strikeouts does he have this season? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head. I know he had six last night it, in two innings. And in a row. Yep. In the sixth and seventh inning against the Mets in the last game of the Subway Series, uh, helping the Yankees along to that one nothing win in a series split. You know, the kid's problem last year and in the minors and when he came up was the fact that he had no control. He has a million-dollar arm. Take that, Disney. Um and he wasn't able to throw strikes. Now he's able to throw strikes. And Joe Girardi was asked after that last Mets game in the Subway Series, you know, what the future holds for Dylan Batantis. He didn't want to rush anything. He didn't want to show his hand. 
But, you know, CC Sabathia, Doug, he's out. Who knows if his knee's going to be okay. Um, Michael Pineda has that lat strain. Who knows what he's going to be like when he comes back in June. Do they have to start maybe stretching Batances out and make him a starter? I'm, he's a, you know, the way he's pitching now, the bullpen is a mess. I mean, you have David Robertson, but Sean Kelly's hurt. Uh, it's going to be an interesting situation. It's quite the conundrum for the Yankees. You know, do they stretch him out, take him out of the bullpen? He's a big-time asset now in the bullpen, but do they take him out and try to stretch him out and make him a starter? My opinion is you don't do that. My opinion would be if anybody's going to the rotation that succeeded in the bullpen, it's Adam Warren because Adam Warren's been a successful starter in the minor leagues. Dylan Batances was never a successful starter, even in the minor leagues. Right. He actually made the transition to the bullpen in the minors before he came up. We knew that he would be a better a better starter than a reliever. It's just the way it looked. It's different with the two of them. But Tansis looks like the kind of guy that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Leave him out there. That seems to be the place where he succeeds. Adam Warren, if he's figured it out, figured out how to be deceptive, he's developed a changeup, his fastball looks great, maybe you bring him in. But you leave Batances out there because you never know. He might be a serious eighth inning guy. Yeah, you could have Kelly, Batances, and Robertson, seven, eight, nine to close out games. I mean, that... You know, that's a tremendous point out of you. It's just going to be interesting to see because, you know, Whitley, I understand why Girardi took him out in that last game after four and two-thirds. He did walk two in the fifth inning, and maybe he's getting a little skittish. He didn't throw a lot of pitches. Uh, There's half of me that agrees with that decision and half of me that doesn't because, you know, I hear Nolan Ryan say it all the time. How are your pitchers going to learn to pitch if they don't get themselves out of trouble? Uh, but in this situation, you have to look at the side of Girardi saying, you know, we really need this game. We need to get a split here. I need to get out of this. And that's why I understood it. But at the same time, in a different situation, I'd like to see Whitley and maybe Joe does let him go in a different situation and let him finish that game, finish the inning at least and get out of that wiggle out of it. So I understand his thought process last night uh, in that last Mets game. But in the future, I'd like to see, the youngsters try to pitch out of those situations. I think, you know, if the Yankees could get Kelly back and healthy and they have Batances still throwing the way he's throwing and Robertson as their closer, that's a hell of a bullpen. The guy who's really disappointing me right now is Thornton. I mean, he, he was brought in for one thing, to get lefties out. And he can't even do that, Doug. I mean, it's been a rough go of it for him so far. It's always been his problem. He doesn't really have an off-speed pitch, and and now he throws 95. He used to throw 100. It's a difference. You know, I think it's an adjustment. And he's not one of those guys that's coming at you from three feet right. to the left. Right. He is just kind of a straight-up fireballer, just happens to be left-handed. So, I don't know. I mean, they could have used a big, you know, a big start from him. We'll see, you know, they might have a hard time getting lefties out down the stretch. Yeah, and Carlos Beltran, even though he's on the disabled list, and the Yankees had a lot of fear with this team going into this season that this is going to happen. Now all their fears are coming true. You know, three-fifths of their rotation is currently on the DL, and one of them isn't coming back in Ivan Nova. And he might not be back till after next year's All-Star game. Uh, who knows how his rehab goes, and who knows what he's going to be after Tommy John surgery. Um, but CeCe Sabathia is out. Michael Pineda is out. So you're dealing with the only two starters. And, you know, we talked about Masahiro Tanaka 
before the season started and how, you know, maybe the Yankees shouldn't throw all this money at him. But my goodness, thank goodness they did. I mean, this guy's their ace. And, you know, I, I, I give CeCe Sabathia the utmost respect. I do. Because when he is out there, he's not going to beg out of a game. He's going to be a bulldog. He's going to go out and do whatever he needs to do to get a win and keep the team close. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for CeCe Sabathia. And having said that, Masahiro Tanaka is the Yankees' ace. I don't care if he's a rookie. I don't care if it's his first year in the league. Numbers don't lie. And right now, he's the Yankees' ace. Yeah, I just said this on the Yes Men. Uh, the ace is not a politics thing. It's not about what you've done in the past. None of that. And I, too, respect CeCe Sabathia. The ace of a staff is the is a is based on a feeling. Every start is he the guy where you're like we gotta win this game. Every start yeah. is he the guy that if you've lost three straight you need him to come up in the rotation. You look forward in the schedule is he the guy that if the Yankees need to win a game he's on the mound. And yes, it's true he is. So he's the ace. It's just he's the best pitcher on the staff. He's the uh, the stopgap. Yeah, and you have David Phelps, you have Vidal Nuno, and you have you know spot starts <laughs> for the other three spots in the rotation. That's the scary thing. But what isn't scary, you know, I'm watching the game, that last game against the Mets, and every night, as we always do here on Yes, we put up the lineup. You know, we show the Yankees' defense in the field. And I'm looking around the defense in the field, and I'm like, wow, even with Beltron out, this is a scary good lineup. Ichiro I mean, wasn't even in there. Yeah. I mean, this the Yankee lineup still isn't the problem. But to, to look at this team right now and to say they're not in trouble, that's just a bad statement. The Yankees are in trouble. I mean, they really – Joe Girardi, once again, is Noah. You know, he has to construct an arc. He's in there. He's in the clubhouse with the blueprints. Once again, trying to figure out, all right, how the hell am I going to do this? I have the lineup now, but now my starters are, are hurting. You know, last year it was the other way around. They had the pitchers. They, they, they couldn't scrape together runs. Now it's the opposite. He's got the, the, the horses in the lineup. Now he's got to find a way to piece together. And this is why I can't get on him for that move last night with Whitley. You know, it's a it's a zip-zip game at the time, and he's got to keep it that way in order to try to get a win and try to get a series split. So – Listen, and this is why Joe Girardi, if the Yankees, once again, with these starter issues, are in the mix come September, he's got to be in the mix. And I don't care how much their their salaries are. He's got to be in the mix for manager of the year again because this is when a manager makes his money. He did it last year. The Yankees had a piecemeal, piecemeal, 4A lineup sometimes. And September 1st? The Yankees had a shot at the postseason. That speaks volumes to me about the guy on the bench. And you could talk about, you know, the notebook and everything else and Joey Binder. You want to be a smart ass. You could do that if you want. This guy knows how to manage. Joe Girardi knows how to manage. And I don't – I wouldn't want anyone else on that bench right now than Joe Girardi. People give him, you know, guff here and there. But you want a manager on that bench that could take this team to the postseason with three starters on the DL right now and one not coming back, in my opinion, it's the guy they have on the bench right now. Totally agree. I thought he did a great job last year. I thought if they didn't have that like little mini collapse at the end of September last year, he would have had a better shot. 
And it does get frustrating if you're a fan and he, he does bench guys a lot. He goes in and out of lineups. You very rarely see that same lineup back-to-back-to-back in a series. But he's doing it for a reason. And by the way, it usually ends up working. Yeah. Yeah, it does. All right. I think we've talked enough about everything. This is a long one. It's almost 45 minutes, Dougie. Yeah. No commercials either. I've talked a lot. No commercials. Anyway. Yeah. No commercials. Hey. Oh. Doug talked 70 minutes today. That's true. <laughs> Over 70 Look minutes. Uh, he did a Yes Men solo, and he does the Chris Sheeran show with me. So you guys, you have a lot to listen to. You have a lot to sink in. And then, you know what? Hey, chuck us a tweet, you know? If you chuck us a tweet about what you hear on the podcast, we'll get you on the next podcast. Yeah, that means we know you're listening yeah. and we appreciate you yeah. and we like you. We'll bring you into we the borderline com- love you. Yes, we do. I, no, I love you. I don't borderline love you. I love you. Remember, Doug. Be politically correct. <laughs> we bring it all back around. The circle of the Chris Sheeran Show podcast as we bring it to a close. Remember, uh, you could check us out on yesnetwork.com, obviously, or as the kids say, obvi. Uh, and you could also download this on the uh, iTunes for free 99. Uh, for Doug Williams, I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll speak at you next time here on the Chris Sheeran Show.